Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Schmelk, Detino, happy bye week, everybody. We're back after about four <laughs> days off, a little R&R, and we needed it. We want to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. As we do each year, we kind of take heed of where we are at the bye week, and we figure no better time with... All this extra time on our hands and no game to talk about from the past weekend. Then to look ahead a little bit to the 2019 NFL Draft. One of our friends of the program, our good buddy Dane Brugler, who's now with The Athletic. If you don't have a subscription, it's another great reason to get one. Dane, I know we're earlier in the year, but I thought it was appropriate. You got Schmelk and Detino here. How's your college football season treating you, buddy? <laughs> hey, good afternoon, guys. It's uh, It's been a fun college football season. I mean, I know we have the... Alabama looks unbeatable, but uh, and everyone else. Is wait a minute! Wait a minute! I thought Alabama was the, was the thirty third NFL team. <laughs> yeah, I mean you're not too far off. I mean when you look at the, I, 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 I suggested that we rename that LSU Alabama game the the NFL job fair game because that's nice. basically what it is. Indeed. It really is. All right, Dane, let's start with the position everyone always likes to talk about around the league, and that's the quarterback position. Uh, from what I can gather and from what I've seen, only probably one quarterback that could come out worthy of a top 15 pick, Justin Herbert from Oregon. Um, tell the fans why you think he might not come out, and it might be more doubtful than, say, someone like Darnold at this time last year. Right. Justin Herbert, he's a true junior and he kind of has he's had the same or a similar path as Sam Darnold did uh didn't start and as a varsity quarterback in high school until his junior season and then he missed most of that season uh because of injury very similar to to Darnold and then he played basketball came back for a senior year uh in high school in Eugene and he was an unheralded recruit because of that cuz uh, college programs really didn't have a lot of tape on him uh, despite being in Eugene, and then once some uh, some programs like Nevada and others caught wind of him, that's when Oregon uh, realized what they had in their backyard. They offered him. Uh, Justin Herbert grew up uh, as an Oregon fan, had season tickets, his family. Uh, so he went to Oregon, and we've seen him each of the last three years get better and better and better, fill out his frame. Uh, he's 6'6", 235 pounds. He looks the part. He's a really good athlete. Uh, but he's still very young. Uh, as a true junior, he's, he's got about 23 starts, I think, in his career. Uh, still young, still learning in a lot of ways at the quarterback position. He's a really smart guy, um, and his younger brother will be a true freshman uh, next year at Oregon. He's a four-star wide receiver tight end, so I think there's some things. They're the heartstrings. When you talk about a Eugene kid uh, grow up, growing up an Oregon fan, wants to you know, lead his team to a Pac-12 championship, and then when you factor in his younger brother, being able to play with him next year, uh, I think those factors are going to play heavily in his decision. And that's why I think there's a, there's a good chance he returns. And it's different than Darnold, uh, because I think when Sam Darnold, at, at the end of last year, he took a look around the locker room and said, you know what, this is a young roster. There's talent here, but they're really young. I mean, am I going to come back for my, my redshirt junior year and you know, get my butt kicked again behind a, a, you know, an up-and-down offensive line? Uh, no, I'll just go to the Jets and do that. But, uh, you know, it, with, with Herbert, it, it's a little different because it, or you look at Oregon's roster and they've got talent coming back next year. They could be the Pac-12 favorites uh, if he returns. So uh, I think, you know, just talking to different scouts that have been through there, they think it's probably like 60-40 he goes back to school. 
But, uh, you know, there's still a lot that needs to play out. He's got two months to make a decision. Um, I know he's focused on the season, but, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Well, Dan, let me ask you this. Since we don't know what Herbert's going to do, and I think you're right, it's flip a coin at this particular moment in time. Of the guys who we know are going to be eligible for for the the pro game in, in, in the spring, who are the two or three quarterbacks that you will be watching carefully over the next two months of the season? Because their stock could put them high into the first round. In particular, I tell you, I like Ryan Finley out of NC State. This, this is a guy who I've got my eye on. Would he be one of the couple that you would be looking at? Uh, yeah, he would be. I mean, if we're going to just talk about the seniors, I think there's really three that stand out. Drew Locke from Missouri, to me, is the top senior right now. Um, and, you know, he, he has struggled at Missouri. He's been up and down uh, against SEC competition. Uh, you break it down, what he's done against non-conference competition, he's been outstanding. But against the best of the best in the SEC, he has really struggled. But he kind of got the monkey off his back this past weekend going into Gainesville, into the swamp, and beating a really good Florida defense. Uh, he, he had over he had 250 yards passing, 75% completion, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and Drew Locke needed that in a big way. Mm-hmm. And so if he finishes strong in November, and then that carries over to the pre-draft process with the senior bowl, the combine, I think Drew Locke, we're going to be talking about him in a lot of ways. We talked about Josh Allen uh, at this time last year out of Wyoming. Uh, not, you know, the, the production isn't always the prettiest uh, and just in terms of consistency, but he's got a golden arm. He's a really good athlete. Uh, teams talk about his football IQ being uh, above average. Uh, so there's a lot to like about the physical traits and, you know, his overall makeup as a player. It's just from a consistency standpoint, down the field passing, his decision-making, his accuracy, uh, it, it tends to fluctuate a little bit. So, but Drew Locke has a lot of the things you can't coach. And I think for that reason, as long as he finishes strong and does well at the Senior Bowl and throughout the pre-draft process, I think Drew Locke will be a first-round pick. Now, how high? That's going to be a good question. Uh, could he sneak into the top 10, top 15? Uh, you know, I, I think it's certainly possible. If Josh Allen can do it, I think Drew Locke can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he is the favorite to be the first senior drafted. Behind him, I would go with Will Greer out of West Virginia, uh, the former Florida quarterback who's doing some big things at West Virginia. A really good feel for touch down the field. Uh, obviously, that West Virginia offense, uh, the air raid, he's, uh, it inflates the numbers a little bit, but he operates really well. Uh, struggles with when pressure gets on him, but uh, he's a guy that's a very natural passer uh, down the field. Uh, he's not shy about pushing the ball, even if it's in the heavy coverage. And that will work against him at times. But with Will Greer, I think there's plenty to like. And you mentioned Ryan Finley. Uh, to me, he's the third of those three names. Okay. I, I, to me, I see more of a a third-round pick more so than a first-round pick. Um, I just don't think he has uh, the big-time arm talent uh, to you know to be a consistent NFL starter. To me, I think he's kind of, uh, you know, he, he's, he'd be a really good backup and a guy that can step in and win you some games. He reminds me a lot of Nick Foles when he was coming out of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Where That's a good I, comparison. You know, I, well, right, and it's, Obviously, Nick Foles has won a Super Bowl, so that's that's saying a lot. But just talking about them as prospects, because you know I think he can come in and possibly win you some games as a starter. But more likely, you're going to want him as a backup and a guy that you can really rely on to help your quarterback room. We're joined by Dane Brugler from the Athletic. Overall, in this draft class, Dane, obviously we know it's going to vary based on what underclassmen decide to declare once we get to January. Um, 
But it seems like if you need a defensive lineman, this is the draft you want to be picking high. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, this defensive line, uh, both on the edges and on the interior, uh, has the potential to be historic. Uh, and just in terms of top-end talent, uh, yeah, I released my midseason top 32 board, and I think literally half, 16 of the 32, uh, were defensive linemen. Uh, <laughs> and it just if the underclassmen come out like we think they will, uh, you know, Ed Oliver from Houston's already declared he's coming out. Uh, but I tell you, Quinnen Williams from Alabama, the redshirt sophomore, number 92, yeah. he is, he's the most impressive defensive tackle I have watched on tape uh, this season. I, even better than Ed Oliver, uh, 6'4", 296 pounds, moves really well. And what's so special about Williams is he can beat you in so many different ways. He can beat you with his initial quickness. He can beat you with power. He can beat you with his hand technique. Uh, and it's just, if you're, as a blocker, you're preparing for one or two of those things, but you can't prepare for all three. And Williams is so good at using all of his gifts in unison. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, I watched his Texas A&M tape, and I thought, oh, wow, this is the tape that scouts are going to point to. But then I watched the Missouri tape, and it was better. And then I watched the Arkansas tape, and it was even better than that. <laughs> and then uh, over the weekend against LSU, he was simply dominant. Uh, at one point, LSU just got tired of it, and they put double teams on him, and he, can, and he was able to split those and swim his way to the quarterback uh, on a consistent basis, even with the Whoa. doubles. So uh, he is, it looks like a man amongst boys out there. Uh, Quinnen Williams has legit top five talent, if he declares. Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State, uh, more of that nose tackle, one technique, doesn't offer as much pass rush value. But he is a grown man. He's going to be in that top 15, top 20 conversation. And then the Clemson guys, Dexter Lawrence, uh, another one of the, you know, more of a one technique run stuffer, but helps everybody else on the defensive line with what he can do. And then Christian Wilkins, uh, the top senior defensive tackle this year, uh, more of that three technique upfield penetrator, guy with an outstanding motor. He's a smart kid. Uh, he's also in that top 20 conversation as uh, you know, one of the better three techniques in this draft. What has to happen for Nick Bosa not to be the top overall pick? What's his upside, and is anyone else even in his stratosphere as an edge guy coming out in this class? Uh, I, I, something would have to happen with the injury. Uh, you know, we I haven't seen him on the field since early September when he got hurt in the TCU game. Um, had the uh, you know the injury that's yep. kind of uh, the core injury. It's kind of connected to a little bit of everything, and so a little bit of a worry there just to make sure there's no long-term effects. So that's something we'll find out at the combine. Um, I think he's probably doing a smart thing by uh, not trying to rush it, not trying to get back on the field for uh, you know one of Ohio State's final games or even. Uh, bowl game or playoff he's doing the right thing uh, for his long-term future by not you know going too hard and aggravating the injury uh, and as long as he's healthy as long as the trainers and doctors give two thumbs up I think Nick Bosa is the best player in this draft class uh, he, he I mean it looks like a carbon copy of his older brother Joey with not only the the size and the, his get off uh, but the way he uses his hands uh, the way he uses that natural leverage to create pushback and uh, again, a guy that can beat you in different ways. So I think Nick Bosa is the clear-cut top uh, pass rusher in this draft. If, and I, I think there are other other pass rushers you can consider in the top ten. Rashawn Gary from Michigan, another guy who's battled some injuries, a shoulder issue, but he's just a freaky athlete. Rashawn Gary is going to blow up the combine with what he does at 6'5", 285 pounds. Uh, Cleveland Farrell from Clemson is the top. Uh, one of the top uh, pass rushers as well. He's in the top 15 conversation. And then Montez Sweat from Mississippi State, tall, long, 
that Jason Taylor comparisons really make sense with him with the way he can uh, collapse the, the edge, wrap the corner, and get to the quarterback. Well, if John's going to ask you about the guys up front on defense, you know I'm going to flip the coin and ask you about the guys up front on offense. Jonah Williams from Alabama, to me, is by far the best offensive tackle on the board. Uh, how, how much separation is there between him and maybe some of the other top offensive tackles? Yeah, and I, you know, I spent all morning really looking at these offensive tackles. Uh, and Jonah Williams is he's not flashy. Uh, frankly, his tape is pretty boring, but it's because he's so good. Uh, he's not the, the best athlete out there, but consistently every single snap is a stalemate. And in offensive line world, a stalemate is a big win. Yeah. So, you know, you watch him and he's just, he's a dominant player. He, he's the most boring dominant player you're going to watch. And Jonah Williams, I think, will, will take that every day. Um, he's, a, he's a technician at the point of attack. Love the way he uses his hands. And I love his killer instinct. He's tough, and he looks for that kill shot whenever he can take it. Uh, doesn't it, I, We watched uh, three or four tapes this morning, and I don't think I saw a negative rep. Uh, it was really good against LSU. Um, I, I think he is a top tackle. I, I, do, I do think Greg Little can be close uh, from Ole Miss, a junior tackle, if he comes out. Um, he doesn't have necessarily the same technique, doesn't have the same uh, toughness to him in terms of having that killer instinct. But he's a really good athlete, and I, I love how he's very relaxed before his punch. Uh, very calm in demeanor, uh, and sometimes that can look a little passive, but uh, another guy that just didn't get beat a lot. So Greg Little from Ole Miss reminds me a lot of Ronnie Stanley out of Notre Dame uh, a couple of years ago when the mm-hmm. Ravens took him top ten. Uh, I think Greg Little similar to that type of prospect. But Jonah Williams, to me, I, I, I agree with you. I think he is the top tackle this year if he declares – I think there's a good chance we see two Williams from Alabama in the top 10 with Quinnen on the defensive tackle and then Jonah Williams, the left tackle. Dane, how deep does the offensive tackle class go? Because I think what we've seen the last few years is that, maybe even more so than quarterback, finding a good offensive tackle that you can plug and play in the NFL draft has become nearly impossible where you're now sticking rookies in, and frankly, they're getting their butt kicks because they're not ready because mm-hmm. of the way they played in college. Uh, beyond Little... And beyond Williams, who else in this class? Is there anyone else in this class that you can get end of round one, beginning of round two, that you would feel okay about plugging in year one, right side, right tackle or left tackle at the at the NFL level? Well, I'm, I'm eager to see who else declares. I think those two tackles we talked about, Greg Little and Jonah Williams, are both juniors. I think they're both will declare and both will be you know, first round picks. And then we'll see if any other juniors declare. But among the senior class, uh, it really took the tackle class really took a hit. When Trey Adams, the left tackle mm-hmm. from Washington, Injured. hurt his back mm-hmm. out for the year, we just we don't know what's going on there. Um, I mean, anytime, uh, especially an offensive lineman has a back issue, that's a red flag. And so uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Trey Adams if he even uh, you know, tries to enter the draft. Maybe he goes back to school. We'll have to wait and see on Trey Adams before the injury. Uh, he looked like a top ten player, but uh, we'll kind of put him to the side for now. Uh, after him, I think there's there's several players you'd consider on day two. I don't know if any will get into round one. Uh, Andre Dillard at Washington State is a really interesting player. Light feet doesn't. The big thing with him is he doesn't have long arms, and that's, that that hurts him at times because he struggles to sustain blocks at the point of attack. But he's consistently uh, mirroring. He's consistently in position to uh, keep blockers uh, at bay and so to really shield the pocket. 
Uh, and so I think Andre Dillard, maybe we look at him as a guard or center at the next level. Uh, Northern Illinois has a kid that I really like, like Max Sharping, uh, really intelligent player, big, strong, not the best athlete, but he's good enough in that area where uh, he can hold up against uh, some of the better uh, edge rushers uh, at left tackle. So I think Max Sharping from Northern Illinois is a guy to keep an eye on. And then a third senior that could be on that, in that day two range, Yadni Kajus from West Virginia, really athletic player. Um, he's a guy that you watch one tape and you say, okay, this guy, he looks like a plug-and-play starter. Then you watch the next, and he just he doesn't play up to that level consistently. So if an NFL offensive line coach can get Kajus to play at a high level up to his ability, snap in, snap out, I think you've got yourself a starter. Uh, that's just a big question mark there. Hopefully, you know, at the senior bowl and the combine, we'll be able to figure him out fully. Before we leave that position, what about the two Wisconsin kids, Dieter and Edwards? Uh, that they're coming from a program that usually has some some big cornfed cattle up front, right? And I think Dieter is a plug and play guard. Uh, I, you know, he has some snaps at left tackle. I think he does his best work inside a guard. Uh, really strong. He's reliable. I, I think you know exactly what you're getting with him. There's not going to be any surprises. Uh, not the best athlete, but he consistently stays on his feet. The only time you see him on the ground is when he's burying a defensive tackle. So uh, in the run game, he's consistent. In the passing game, uh, to me, he is the top guard prospect this year. Uh, maybe teams consider him in the, in the late first, uh, but if not, I think he's going to be somewhere off the board early day two. And, and then Edwards, he's one of those juniors that we're going to have to wait and see what he does. Um, after Little and William, Edwards is in that next tier uh, of underclassmen who might be able to declare and uh, be a guy that's considered in the, in the first round. 6'6", 320 pounds, uh, moves well. He's another guy that has some experience uh, at tackle and guard. He was a high school quarterback. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, he, Wisconsin gets these guys from wow. all over, uh, walk-ons and different things like that. Edwards was a guy that is a high school quarterback. They beefed him up, and he's done really well at tackle. So he's going to have an NFL decision to make after the year. Dane, real quick, just a thumbnail on the center and guard spots. I felt like last year was one of the deeper uh, positions in the draft with, was that interior offensive line. Are we looking at the same volume of guys that, that you can get in rounds one, two, and three to, to plug in and start, or is it a bit of a shallower class in 2019? Yeah, I think we're going to take a little bit of a step back. Last year with Ragnow and Billy Price uh, and Daniels from Iowa, we, we saw plenty of these centers go in the top 50 picks. This year, I'm not sure we're going to have that center in the top 50. I, to me, wow. the top center might be Dalton Risner from Kansas State, who's actually playing right tackle this year. But he played center earlier in his career, and I think that might be his best long-term position. Just a very stubborn blocker, tough at the point of attack. Uh, Risner, to me, might be that top guy. Lamont Galliard uh, from Georgia, Garrett Bradbury from NC State, Elgin D uh, Jenkins, Mississippi State. These are the next tier of centers, but they're probably more in that second to fourth round range. Got it. You know, Dane, the, the thing that really interests me, usually I'm watching the bowl games, I'm watching the all-star games. I know the all-star games aren't worth much. It's the weeks that lead up to those games where the guys get involved in the one-on-ones that you really mm -hmm. get to see what's going on in practice in terms of what their, what their abilities are going to be. How much as you go through the rest of this season and then get to that point, how much will you watch? How, how many of these games, because we all know that some of these games are against maybe substandard competition too, which of course makes it difficult to evaluate a player because they're playing maybe a conference game against a lesser-known foe, and the, the talent uh, picture gets warped, if you will. 
So where do you put your emphasis now as you begin to finish off the second half of the season and then you get into what becomes draft time? If there's tape out there to be watched, I'm going to watch it. You know, and obviously you want to see a player do his best work against the best competition. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, I'll watch a player against lesser competition just to see if he can dominate because that's what you want to see out of a, a guy you're considering in the first few rounds. If he doesn't show up against a lesser-known opponent, then maybe that's a little bit of a red flag and you need to figure out mm-hmm. what's going on there. But once we get into the pre-draft process, that's where – I want to know what's going on with these guys. So when we go to the senior bowl and, you know, we're watching practices and one-on-ones and seven-on-sevens, I know what I'm looking for with a player. I'm not going to see him for the first time and try to be figuring him out on the fly. I want to be able to look at uh, a Drew Locke from Missouri and understand, okay, I want to see his ball placement. I want to see his ability to, go, you know, make left-to-right reads, high-to-low, go through his progressions to find the open receiver. Uh, so I, I, I want to make sure I have a thumbnail on each one of these guys so when we get to the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Game and mm-hmm. the Combine, uh, it's more about can he answer these questions that I have. And, you know, for a lot of these guys, it's getting them outside the comfort zone. Um, you know, Washington State, for example, their quarterback this year, Gardner Minshew, uh, a grad transfer from East Carolina who's really come on, he looks like an NFL player, but I want to see him outside of that Washington State offense uh, you know, that, that quick reads, uh, you know, and he's smart. He, he looks like he has full command of that offense. But what's he going to look like at the Senior Bowl or the Shrine Game, whichever all-star game he gets invited to, when things are a little different and he has to learn something on the fly? Um, so, he, you know, getting these guys out of their comfort zone of the offense or the defense they've known the last few years in college and having to pick up things quickly from day to day at an all-star game, that'll be a big factor in what we're looking for. So in short, the, the weight of your grades gets heavier and heavier as we get closer to January and February. Yeah, I think that's fair. Because yeah. so much of what you're looking at is, uh, you know, the hay's already in the, bar- in the barn for a lot of these guys. Uh, but it just gets a little more critical because you have a you watch the tape, you study these guys, and you have a better understanding of who the player is and what he needs to show you in the pre-draft process. Mm-hmm. So uh, the tape's obviously very important. It's probably 75%, 80% of the total evaluation. But it, when, the pre-draft process, when everybody's underneath the microscope, that's when things get a little more serious in terms of, okay, uh, I have a question about this guy's strength. Can he you know, prove me wrong? I have a question about uh, this wide receiver's ability to get open in his route. Can he prove me wrong or show me that he can? Uh, during one-on-one the senior bowl practice. So and if he's not able to do that, then scouts are going to you know, kind of cross that off their list and say, okay, you know, couldn't get open on tape, couldn't get open during practice. I think I have my answer. It doesn't matter if you run the 4-3 at the combine. <laughs> right. uh, if he's not able to get open sure. in, on a football field, uh, you know, that's, that's a red flag. Dane, final question. Dane Brugler from The Athletic. I-, I like to try to get ahead of some of this position scarcity stuff, Dane, and I think we talked about it already Finding offensive tackles out of, out of college now can be really tough, and I think a position that's flown under the radar a little bit is wide receiver. We've seen so many failures in the first few rounds at the wide receiver position. Uh, we saw the three guys get overdrafted a couple years ago with the John mm-hmm. Ross, Corey Davis class, and again, looking at the draft class this year, nobody jumps off to me as, boy, I got to have this guy on my team. Is it to the point now where finding wide receivers at a school that are NFL-ready in any way, shape, or form is becoming rarer than for almost every other position? 
Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And I think that maybe aside from quarterback, wide receiver is the toughest transition for these college players to make because, I mean, think about what they face at the college level. They're facing corners that are most of the time, you know, 5'11", 4'50", athletes, um, you know, guys that just aren't the caliber of what they're going to see in the NFL. And then a lot of these guys in college aren't asked to run the full route tree. Uh, so once they get to the NFL, it, you know, learning the full route tree, facing corners who press, get in your face, and are as big as some of these wide receivers, and then just the chemistry with the quarterback within the the, the offense that they're running, it, it, it is the toughest transition maybe aside from quarterback. And that's why I think we're seeing a lot of these guys struggle. I mean, Laquan Treadwell has all the talent in the world, but uh, mental mistakes and tr- just struggling to get on the uh, same page with the quarterback has been his issue. And really, I think that's why we saw the Cowboys make the move they did uh, with getting uh, Amari Cooper mm-hmm. instead of you know, waiting to this draft class. Because I think this, this wide receiver draft class coming up is not weak. But I don't think we have that, that locked top 20 pick. But there's going to be plenty of wide receivers in that late first, early second, into the third round that we're talking a lot about, it, 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 depending on the juniors that they come out. Because there's a lot of talent in the junior class. But each one of them kind of has a flaw. You know, they, you really like what they do in this area, this area, and this area, but they might have that one flaw that you kind of question, okay, how are we going to be able to use him? Marquise Brown from Oklahoma, 5'9", 170 pounds, but he can fly. And I think a team looking for that next Tyree kill, they're going to love Marquise Brown. Uh, <laughs> a guy like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford, uh, you know, a guy who's a big basketball player, boxes out, high points, uh, you know, comes down with a rebound. But he doesn't – in Stanford, they don't ask him to run a full route tree, and there's some struggles there with him being able to learn that uh, in, a, in a quick manner in the NFL. So, you know, these, these junior wide receivers this year, we're going to see a lot of them come out, and we're going to be talking a lot about them the next few months. But I don't see any of them that you look at and say, okay, yeah, he's a lock top 20 pick and a guy that, you know, you can clearly point to as a future number one for an NFL offense. Dane, we could talk all day. We appreciate you taking a few minutes for us. Thank you so much, and we'll certainly catch up with you when we get into the bowl season. Thanks, Dane. All right, enjoy it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Dane. Dane Brugler from The Athletic. Wonderful job, as He's always. He's really good. Oh, he knows He's stuff, really, man. really good. You know, every time we have him on at the Combine, I'm just blown away. I mean, because not only does he know everything about the guys you know, but he knows stuff about guys you don't know. And he knows the stuff off the field, too, which is why his guide is so good. He gives little background nuggets on all those guys that are mm-hmm. just really, really good. And uh, I think that draft guy's coming out again this year. So, Well, we didn't, we didn't ask him because he's no. probably way, 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 oh, way, yeah. way away from actually getting that sucker together. Oh, I'm sure he has his notes ready, though. You well, know he's got his notes goes. ready, but he hasn't got that binder ready yet. Of course. We want to remind <laughs> you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. Now we'll take your calls the rest of the way at 201-939-4513. Get on the horn. We'll take your calls on anything New York football Giants uh, and anything around the National Football League going on during this bye week. Of course, the Giants uh, are back in action Next Monday night against the San Francisco 49ers, they're coming off a Thursday night win. Did you see that against the Oakland Raiders? And I, I'm not sure if the <laughs> Oakland Raiders actually are going to even play games the rest of the year. Or are they just going to try to oh, simulate the final? No, oh, no, don't make fun of them. <laughs> there are enough of teams that are having trouble this year. We don't need to make fun of anyone. Well, else. no, that that's true. But I will say this: watching that, and I I just watched that game on tape this morning. Oh, oh, oh! It was bad. It was it was rough. It was rough. A um, couple other pieces of information. Jamon Brown was claimed by the Giants off yes. of waivers from the round. Nice from the, pick from the Rams. Up. A 25-year-old third-round pick from 2015. 
Uh, started 16 games for the Rams at guard last year. Um, he had a suspension this year, this year because of substance abuse for the first four games. Um, and he could not break back into the starting lineup. And they ended up having to let him go to make room for Dante Fowler Jr., the defensive end. So um, it's a guy that has 30 starts in his career. He's young. He's only 25 years old, played in 42 career games. So he's a young guy. You'll get him into the mix at the guard position and let him compete with some of the veterans on the team. John, we're talking about a guy who I think is listed at 6'4", 335, 340. He's a large fellow. Okay. He is similar, similar in frame to DJ Fluker. Okay. He's a big road grader. He's a hog molly. And he is a run blocker first. Okay. That's what he does really well. Um, And from what I understand, you know, he's in the last year of his contract. And that's one of the reasons the Browns, or not the Browns, the Rams allowed him to walk or made him a, a waiver guy because uh, they got a cap issue coming up in the offseason. And they know he's going to command some bucks. And they figure, look, we're not going to be able to resign him anyway. And the, the kid they got playing right guard now is apparently lights out. I'm sure they tried to move him too. Uh, whatever time they had. In between the Fowler trade and the trade deadline, I'm sure they tried to move him via trade, but I'm sure it was a pretty time-sensitive spot right there with when the Fowler trade went down. So you had to make room for him. And yeah, look, I think he's a good signing. He was a third-round pick. He's only 25. You like all those things. Yes. I'm never going to lose my mind and get all excited about somebody claimed off of waivers because there's a reason he's on waivers. So I'm not going to act like he's going to turn everything around um, and be the big solving all the problems type of guy coming in here on a, you know, on a white horse. But having another young guy that was a third-round pick in the mix can't be a bad thing. Put it this way. No risk. Exactly. Potential reward. Sure. And that's really what you have to look at. And can the Giants upgrade in any way, shape, or form? And uh, when you're in the position that the Giants are in, you're certainly going to look to improve your team every step of the way. And Shermer and Gettleman have both shown a very strong willingness to say, okay, if that guy's going to be better, let's go get him. I mean, they're they're not hesitant at all about making moves here. They're very aggressive. We've seen this roster turn over more times than a pancake. Yeah, absolutely. And he's somebody that they hope can come in here and um, make something happen. So we'll see if that works out. Uh, 201-939-4513. Um, obviously, a lot of stuff going on this weekend, Paul. And I thought one surprising thing I saw, uh, or maybe not surprising, but certainly disappointing from their perspective. Boy. Redskins and their offensive line, huh? You saw Brandon Scherf probably out for the year now with a pec injury. Uh, I mean, they lost their other guard, Sean Laval, and Trent Williams is still out. I think with the thumb, does he have thumb injury, something like that? But he he's going to miss a couple more weeks. And boy, for the team that's in first place in the division, they have a couple game lead. I still think on the Eagles who are on their bye. Cowboys play tonight against the Titans. For a team that relies on the running game and winning up front with their lack of weapons on the perimeter, we just saw that team. If their offense line is going to struggle, Paul, they're going to have a lot of trouble scoring points. John, it's a weak division. Let's not pull any punches on this. It's a weak division. Whoever comes out of the NFC East and makes it into the postseason is one and done. It is not a good division. Case closed. That's just all there is to it. Well, I could. I would not be surprised if the Eagles could put together a run. If there's one team that could do it, it's them because of the level of talent that can put together a run. But otherwise, I agree with you. You know, I will say this, uh, you know, you look at some of the other of the upper echelon teams this year in the NFC, whether it's the Saints, 
the Rams. Uh, whether or not you consider the Packers to be that type of team, even though or the Vikings, they haven't won as many as they 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 probably wished. Minnesota, same kind of thing. How about the Panthers? You know, you have to start talking about them in that class now, don't you? May, maybe you do. I'm not sure yet. Uh, they have the record for it for sure. You know, what the funny part is, we all thought Atlanta would be better. What if they catch fire? They could certainly be a dangerous team. Well, look, their offense can hang with anybody. The question is that their defense, with all, and again, they lost three of their best players because of injury. Yes. So, you have to understand where they're coming from with that. But their offense is as good as any in the league. I mean, it's mm-hmm. ridiculously good. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is no one in the NFC East really impresses me very much. And I think that you could make a case for probably five or six other teams in the National Football Conference that you could say, you know what, if they kind of hit their stride, they could be the team to beat in January. Yeah, and the Redskins are five and three, Eagles and four and four, Cowboys are three and four. They play tonight. So that the NFC East is gonna be that Sunday night game the last weekend of the year. And one of these teams is gonna be like nine and seven. The other one's gonna be eight and eight. They're gonna be mm-hmm. playing each other. Mm-hmm. And then that team's gonna end up winning the division. Yeah. 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 It it would really be a a, a kick in the pants if a nine win team winds up winning the NFC East on like a tiebreaker. Which is something you're just describing. Yeah, and then the NFC North again, it's kind of similar. The Bears and the Vikings at five and three. The Packers are just three and four. The the South is as strong as we thought it was going to be, with the Saints at seven and one, Panthers six and two, Falcons lurking at four and four. And then you have the Rams at eight and one, the Seahawks at four and four in the West. So uh, it's going to be something that I believe that last wild card spot, Paul, is probably going to really go down to the wire unless. The Panthers can run away with it, but something tells me the Vikings are going to have something to say about that last wild card spot before all said and done. Yeah, they're very well might. I, you know, John, I think the, the the thing about what's going on in the league right now, and we've seen the turnover of quarterbacks over the last couple of years, and there are a lot of young guys out there, and Mahomes obviously is, is of all the young fellas. Yeah, he's, he's not the, bad, huh? He's the cream of the crop. And man. by the way, you got to give incredible and give Andy Reid credit for what he's done with him. Oh, of course, it's in, the regular but, season. Andy Reid's always good in the regular season. Well, he's he's how I'd like to describe Andy Reid. In terms of game planning, one of the best I've ever seen. Gets his team ready during the week. Managing On game day, a game. He's a disaster. He's had his issues. <laughs> postseason record, man. Always in a big spot in the postseason. Andy Reid's team's questionable play calling, questionable game management, questionable personnel decisions. You know, he's that kind of guy who will get you to playoffs all the time, but he's always going to be the bridesmaid. That's just the way it is. But anyway, having said that, um, what I really wanted to say is that what I really am kind of excited about, John, as I sat back and I watched some other teams during the bye week and so forth, I'm kind of excited as an old school guy, it hurts me to say, but there really are a bunch of younger players now, underclassmen, if you will, if we can steal a phrase from college, who are starting to make a significant impact in this league. Oh, yeah. And it's and it's becoming very enjoyable to watch some of these guys put forth the kind of skills that uh, that make you kind of ooh and ah and, and make you kind of say, wow, you know, this guy can really play. Now, again, I do think the league's watered down. I do think the golden era was years ago. But having said that, there are certainly guys who have a very high skill level who are making their mark. Mahomes is the cream of that crop. Let's face it. He's, he's leading the pack. But uh, it, it's kind of fun to see. And it's a shame that guys like, uh, like Cook in Minnesota are hurt because he could be one of those guys. Well, he came back this week. Yeah, but he hasn't you know, had yep. much of a season because mm-hmm. he's been banged up. And 
Of course, that was part of his college career, too. Let's not forget that. Well, that was some of the red flags. He had the shoulder you issues know, coming out of Florida State. Been, Fournette's right? been banged up. Well, also, one of the reasons I would have stayed away from him as well. Yeah, and, and that's a shame because these guys could be yeah. part of that class. And right now, the injuries have really kind of sidetracked them somewhat, which is why it's so nice to see Barkley doing what he's doing. Final point I want to throw out to you, Paul. Um, and putting the Giants aside, uh, we're just recapping what Dane talked to us about. This is a big man draft in 2019. Mm-hmm. It is yep. up front. Uh, five, at least five of the top ten picks are going to be defensive linemen, maybe more. Uh, tackles, ends. You might have an offensive lineman slipped in there as well. The offensive tackle from Alabama seems to be the early favorite there. Yeah, But this seems like it's going to be one of those non-flashy skill position big people drafts. We need to ask about the running back position. No, uh, we I, didn't. I don't even think I've seen people saying no running backs in the first 15 picks, maybe in the first first round. So mm-hmm. this is a very much a trenches draft. So I think you're going to be very excited to cover this thing come the winter. I hope so. I hope so. I, I, I will tell you this. Um, I've, I've had a number of conversations with people in the neighborhood who have asked me about you know, Barkley, and they say, well, you know, how's he done the first half of the season? Think back to what you were thinking about going into the combine and into the draft. And I'm like, no, no, he's met all the expectations. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he truly is a generational guy because there's no one in this draft who could even carry his cleats at the running back spot. Can I throw out one stat about Barkley? Yes, you can. This is this is one you get from Tom Rock? Yes, said? this is the one Tom Rock had in his article over the weekend, which I thought was very good. Which is why you look at Barkley's stats. Is he still fourth in the league in rushing after this week? I know that's what he was heading in. He might have dropped. I, I don't know where I he didn't is look now. look at the last stats. Coming I'll take a look the for you. Take a look for me. Yeah, um, I'm on it. But he's averaging 4.7 yards per carry. And he's on pace for 1,000 yards, give or take. So you think, oh, you know, good rookie year, right? It just shows you how you have to dig sometimes to get a little underneath the statistics. And Tom, I was, I was going to do this myself today when I came in from over the weekend thinking about the team. And Tom did the work for me. So Tom Rock from Newsday, thank you very much. <laughs> Saquon Barkley's seven best carries this year have gone for 266 yards. His other 104 carries have gone for 253. Now, on those seven rushes for 266 yards, I'm sure he has a couple scores in there. And he set up the Giants to score and he put the team in great position and all that stuff. And it's great. But when your other 104 carries go for 253 yards, it makes it hard to run an offense consistently, sustain drives, and succeed on third down and succeed in the red zone. And I'm not blaming this on Saquon Barkley. It is not his fault. He's not getting a lot of help. But that's the type of thing where I've heard a lot of fans over the weekend, and I run into people, they say, you know, John, I don't get it. Beckham's like on pace to lead the league in catches. You know, he's third in yards. Barkley's leading all players in yards from scrimmage. I don't understand. Why can't we score? Well, when you dig into little numbers like that, yeah. that tells you why you can't score. Yeah, he's 11th in the NFL in rushing right now. Wow, dropped to 11, huh? Wow. Yeah. Well, he's got uh, 519 yards, but he is tied for second in the league with runs of 20 yards or more. And how many of 40 or more? He's got three, and which I is number one. And I believe that leads the league. That's tied for first. That's tied for first. With Isaiah Crowell, to be honest, that's surprising. Yeah. He's who he's tied with. But but, but twenty plus yeah. uh, car- twenty plus yard carries behind uh, James Conner of Pittsburgh, who's got eight. 
and he's tied for second with uh, Melvin Gordon and Todd Gurley. Le'Veon um, who, by the way? Yeah, right. There's another case of a young guy stepping in and becoming great part of the next story wave. and a great kid too, from what I understand. Uh, but to go to your point that Tom Rock dug out and, and you have now unearthed as well, uh, only 22% of Saquon Barkley's carries have gone for first downs, and that is the number that needs to come up because when you look at guys who have qualified. And I know that, you know, if you look at the NFL.com list, you can't really do it because they don't I have qualifiers. I hate you can't filter out by carries, yeah, but whatever. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. Uh, I, so I don't even want to try to do this because it, it's just not possible. No. <laughs> but, but let's just say if we went by the, the top 10 rushers, okay, let's just go by the top 10 rushers in the league, okay? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six of the top 10 rushers in the league – have a higher first down carry percentage, or should I say carries four first downs in terms of percentage, than Barkley does. He needs to get that number higher. It's got to be up in the 25 range. And right now it's down at 21.6. That would speak to the consistency that you're talking about that helps move the chains, that allows the offense to tell the defense that, hey, you know what? We can move the ball any way that we want to, and you better you better not cheat against one one move or another move because we we have the whole arsenal, and and that's you know that's the kind of thing you're talking about. The Giants don't have the consistent run game that they really need to have, so they can open up the playbook and allow Eli Manning to do everything he needs to do. Yeah, and, and I'm going to throw one other thing out there too, and I'm going to pull this out from the story um, from last week. I think it was a cover three for that first half season takeaway. And I kind of dug into the numbers a little bit and a couple interesting things. Um, the theme of the story for me was that there's no one thing that's plaguing the Giants. It's a lot of different things, okay? Um, the Giants, only four teams have had more third down conversion attempts of 10 yards or more. On those types of, on third down conversions in general, the Giants are converting 33%. But on 10 or more, they're one of the worst in the league. I think around 10 or 12%. So on third downs of four yards or fewer, they're actually one of the best teams in the league it's been that at way converting all on third down. So if you can get into those type of situations, you're in better shape. And why are you getting into those situations, Paul? The Giants offense have 62 negative plays that have gone for negative 307 yards. That's not including penalties, and they've had some of those too, okay? Only one other team has more total negative yardage on offense this year, and only two teams have more negative plays. So that's going to put you in more of those third and very longs. Eli Mann has been sacked 31 times this season. He's been hit a lot more than that, and we just talked about the negative carries with Saquon Barkley. So just offensively, those are the type of things that prevent you from sustaining drives. That cause three and outs. And that's throwing the red zone issue out of the window, which are 40% second worst in the league. So those are just a couple things for me offensively for the Giants that I looked at during this bye week doing well, a bit of a deep dive that, look, that's how you fix these things. You have to, you can't just say, oh, you got to get better on third downs. Well, why are you having the problem on third down? Then how do you fix the cause of that? Get better on first down where they're only averaging about three yards per play. Okay, that's yeah. the deal, really. When you get down to it, it's not about third down, okay? It's about first down. And, you know, 
I don't want to get into in, into five hour discussion about Eli Manning. You not you guys know how I feel about it. I think he's been vastly criticized and over criticized to the point that it, it makes me nauseous. But when you consider how many handicaps he has had to deal with, from the sacks to the hurries to the lack of consistency in the run game to all the third and longs about, that he's had to face. How about drop passes? That was more last year. Well, the he's percentage, had a few this year. The percentage of drop passes is way down it compared is. to last year. That is true. So I don't I don't really want to go there. That's fair. But the other things are all significant hurdles that no quarterback would be able to overcome. And once you guys understand that, then then the heat will be turned down on this quarterback because it's not on him. All right, 201-939-4513. Let's get to the calls and start with our who better to start the second half of the season with than with Mr. Happy. I got a bad feeling about this. Hallelujah. Losing his mind. Mr. Illness. He wasn't right in the hat. Enough jokes. I am happy. You're not my And here we go. Hi, Charlie. Hello, Charlie. How was your hey, bye guys. week? Hey, you guys ready to get on the uh, lightness bus? We got two games coming up that we should be able to win. We should, we should be able to beat San Francisco, and we should be able to beat Tampa Bay. They are two winnable games, Charlie. You will not hear yes. either one I, of us argue with you. I just lost about $5,000 because I <laughs> thought your first comment on this show this week would be about picking up Brown to help the offensive line. I'm absolutely <laughs> that's, that's stunned. Because I knew, you know, that's great. I'm glad they picked him up. In fact, I hope he starts uh, against San Francisco. I hope he's ready to go. Because uh, I could see Greco just being, you know, the backup center and guard, and that's a good place for him. But we still don't have no right tackle. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> but anyway, One step at a time, uh, Charlie, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm sure you guys kind of watched some of the games last night. Of course. Uh, I mean, you know, the Pats against uh, Green, you know, Green Bay, and you know how much time Brady and, and you know Rogers had most of the time. I mean, they could, you know, they could. It was just unbelievable. I was just sitting there going, if Eli has the time that these guys have, you know, with our wide receivers, Odell, Shepard. Man, we would we would be lighting up the scoreboard. Yeah, and Charlie, that also then affects the play calling. If the head coach has confidence that you can protect for a couple extra seconds, it opens up the playbook too, which then has a, a, a doubly positive effect. No doubt. Right. And you guys were talking about Barkley, and it's like, you know, Barkley's doing everything he can do. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, sure. he's living up to what he's doing. You know, it's the offensive line that's not opening up any holes except once in a while, and then when they do, he can go the whole distance. You know, that's when he gets those long runs. So, in fact, he got some of those long runs just himself, just, you know, making people miss. But, yeah. you know, if we, if we had a, just an old line that was just fair, you know, or, you know, not even just solid, fair. Uh, it would be unbelievable. Charlie, you know, I, I had one of the uh, Super Bowl champion offensive linemen talk to me last week from the, uh, the, uh, the Super Bowl 42 team. And he said to me, you know, we love Jacobs. We love Bradshaw. Those were our guys. But if Barkley was behind our line, think about the kind of numbers he could have put up. Oh, I know. I mean, it's unbelievable. And the other thing I wanted to say, you know, our defense is pretty good. I mean, they they give it up once in a while, but hey, we you know Drew Brees didn't throw forty five points on us, and you know and and you know 
the uh, I saw the Redskins game too, and like that, we made that defensive line look like it was an All Pro team, you know. And then the then the Falcons go in and just run all over them, you know what I mean? So that shows me how bad our offensive line is. It's just it just amazes me. But our defense, there's no defense in this league, you know. The no. Rams are terrible, you know, and, and and the Saints' defense is terrible. What are we going to do? Have a Super Bowl like ninety to eighty-five? <laughs> My God! Well, Charlie, remember <laughs> last year we set a record. It wasn't the most yards ever in a Super Bowl. It was the most ever yards in an NFL game. Yeah. They had over nine hundred yards of total offense, or was it a thousand even in the Super Bowl yeah, last it was, year? It was a thousand, I thought. Did it get to a thousand? It might have been. It was yeah. close. Look, Charlie. Here's the bottom line, though: the league has been going this way for a while. Because of the rules changes, okay, and because of the emphasis on the passing game, this is what you have. It's Madden football. And, and you know, so this should not surprise you, but this is all the more reason why you have to build the trenches. Yeah, and the only other thing I want to say is about Drew Brees. You know, I, I always think it's so important to look where the quarterback played all most of his lifetime in football. And when you got a guy playing in a dome on turf, mm-hmm. not out in the bad weather, I mean I'm not saying Drew Brees wouldn't be a great quarterback anyway. He wouldn't be as good as he is playing there. And then you have somebody like Phil Sims who played in New York mm-hmm. in the wind, in the elements. To me, he's a Hall of Famer. And Drew Brees, if he was playing in New York, I don't know if he'd be a Hall of Famer or not. Uh, he might be, probably not would be, be. Charlie, no, no. I, I think he'd be a Hall of Famer, just like yeah. Peyton Manning would be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. But do you give a little extra check mark to someone like Tom Brady who has to play in New sure. England outdoors? Absolutely, you do. Think about what Jim Kelly did in Buffalo yeah. and Terry Bradshaw did in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how about, honest to God. How about Brett Favre in Green Bay? Brett, Brett, Brett Favre, Fran Tarkenton in New York and Minnesota when they didn't yeah. have a dome in Minnesota. Okay. And Kurt Warner in St. Louis, right? <laughs> well, they had a dome. They had a dome. They had a dome. But the point, the point is, I agree with you in that the guys who have played in horrible weather over their careers probably don't get nearly enough credit for having to endure those kinds of conditions. And and I, I you're absolutely right. That that's an extra little star and on their on their cap that they don't get from they a should. lot of people. And they should. I mean, but I don't yeah. want to take anything away from Breeze because Breeze, to me, is a top top ten all time, no questions asked. Maybe yeah, even a little higher yeah. than that. But but <laughs> having said that, I get what you mean. Yeah, the, all that talk this weekend about who's the best quarterback, Rodgers or Brady. Drew Brees yeah. needs to be in that conversation too. I'm sorry, he, he does. He's he's not number one, but he's high. No, but he's he's in the he's conversation high. with Aaron Rodgers. Absolutely, he's high. He's high. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing is the punting. I mean, you had uh, Ray Guy, right? He played on the West Coast the whole time. And then you have somebody like Jeff Fiegel, uh, who, who played you know, a lot on the East Coast in See, the bad weather. Now I, now I know you've been talking to Sean Landetta. Because <laughs> Sean used to talk about that every day in the locker room when he played here. Thank about you, Charlie. How we all, run, all the other punters in great weather were, were the leaders in the punting uh, stats every week. And Sean's like, look what I'm punting in. I, I, got, I got giant state. You could tell Charlie took the bye week and mellowed out a little bit. You notice that? He was much more mellow well, on this every, call. Everything he it. said outside of initially shortchanging Drew Brees was perfectly logical and made sense. See could what it, happens when you don't have the Giants making you insane on a weekly basis? You get a call like that. Could it be he got <laughs> to the pharmacy during the bye week? <laughs> See, now you're going to get Charlie mad at you. No, he knows I I'm know, kidding. I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, um, 
1,151 total yards in that Super Bowl. I know it was over 1,000. 1,151, and Dan has a good one here. The Giants have an average distance of 9.03 yards to go on second down, the most in the NFL. They are in second and seven or longer 73% of the time. That's a good number, Dan. Honestly. And, and but, but there are those out there who want to go after the quarterback. Well, in fairness, the quarterback has something to do with lack of, pro- uh, lack of production on first yeah, down. Yeah, but a little bit. holy yeah, smokes. Fair. Oh, no. Uh, look, there are mitigating circumstances, obviously. <sighs> All right, let's go to um, Coach Marvin in Delaware. Coach, what's going on, pal? I know we shortchanged you last week. Go ahead, man. How you doing, John and Paul? Hey, doing Marvin. Well. How you doing? All uh, good. How are you? Calling, uh, uh, you had a good guest on today. Um, but, um, you know, the bottom line is uh, everybody knows what the issue is. And it's not that, uh, I mean, it's not totally quarterback. It's, it's the offensive line. The stats you put out about Barkley, his runs, uh, um, uh, how many yards he get out of 100 and how many carries he had. There's no lane. They, they, they really don't have any running lanes that I see some of these other good offensive lines are giving their packs. And Barkley, as soon as he gets the ball, either behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage, he has to get somebody to miss to get that big run for him. Mm-hmm. And he, he doesn't get that that often. So it's the bottom line is the uh, offensive line. I'm almost with you, Paul. The first three picks may have to be offensive linemen. Uh, trade down and get a, a number one next year, and um, and then um, hopefully another two, and um, try to get some offensive linemen in there. And maybe if that quarterback is not there, maybe that's the way they need to go. Well, I'm with you, Marvin, in terms of I'd like, I'd like as I said, I, I was hoping to get two offensive linemen out of this past draft. They only wound right. up with Hernandez. I would have liked to have seen another one. Uh, you know, in, in potentially the third or fourth round. It did not work out that way. So now going into this draft, um, I'm going to say now I'm not there yet because I haven't gone through all my tapes and scouting and all that other stuff. But my initial gut reaction, and I mentioned this last week on the show, I'd like to see two offensive linemen in this draft as well. Um, I see no reason to draft only one. If you can get two that can make this team and compete for a starting job, I think you have to do it. Yeah, I, I think we have to do it to, to balance out this team in, as far as running the ball and able to play action pass out of this. Yeah, Coach, honestly, I'm at the point now with where this team is at, having two consecutive seasons to where they are. I'm not in a position, and I know Paul and I'm sure we're, but we'll, we'll battle about this in, in, in the offseason. Um, I'm picking the best guy. Now, obviously, there are limits to that. I'm not picking the best running back. You'll say Quan Barkley. But, <laughs> okay. but if, if I'm sitting there and I think the best pass rusher on the board is a significantly better player than the best offensive tackle, this team has 10 sacks in eight games. They need pass rushing just as badly as they need pass yeah. blocking. So well, I, I'm, I'm picking the best guy. All right. Yeah, don't don't misinterpret my statement. I'm telling you, they need to draft two linemen who can compete for a starting job. I didn't say where. No, that's fair. That could be yeah. second and third round. That's fair. It could be. I'm just saying. Yeah. I, I I think you're really still in Coach Marvin, and and you know I follow the Knicks, and I've said the same thing about them the last couple of years. You are in. Pick the guy that you think has the most talent, has the best chance to be a star. I don't care where he plays. That's the guy you pick, and I think that's the I- mode the Giants have to be in. I agree with you, John, in a way, but I'm with Paul on this, and because of the, the 
the heart of our team that's hurting us is the offensive line. But that's my philosophy, the best player. But I watch these college games. There's no dominant college players coming out this year. Um, someone that uh, tour is actually electrifying the whole league, and the rest <laughs> of the guys are standby. Now, I agree defensively with you just talking about the defense. There's no defense this year. The rules change. The hitting, uh, there's no fear for receivers mm-hmm. going across the middle anymore. So those play a part in the sport. But when you were talking to the guy earlier, I wanted to talk to you, John, last week, but I didn't get in. I wanted you to ask him about a North, uh, Northern Illinois player by the name of Sutton Smith. What position? He plays. He's a defensive end, but he's really a 3-4 outside linebacker. He has the – I'm not saying he's this guy, so people please don't say that's what I'm saying. He's, he's Vaughn Miller-like. He's, a under, he's one of these guys under the radar. A lot of people are not watching him. Sutton Smith. Coach, Illinois. He's, he's six feet Small. tall and only 208 pounds? No, and you're comparing him to, to you're comparing no, him no. to Von Miller. He's two forty. They added him at two oh eight because he was originally a running back. Okay. And he switched over to defensive end, and they, he went up in weight to two forty. And now he's small, two forty. But Von Miller's two fifty. He's six one. Von Miller's six three. I'm just saying the way he plays. He's a motor. Look him up. Just look him up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm right. No, we'll do, Just Coach. Look at him. Just look at him. And I was hoping to get John to get that guy that say something about Sutton Smith or what he thinks. Okay. All right, Coach, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, and, and thanks for the call. I'm, I'm going to text yeah. Dane, and I will get a little thing on Sutton Smith for you, and I will give it to you next time I'm on the show on Thursday, okay? All right, John. Yeah, take care, Paul. All right, thank you, buddy. All right, be good. Uh, just yeah. FYI, Draft Diamonds, which is one of the reputable guys that we go through uh, at times during the course of the spring, they've got him at 6'1", 241, a projected 40 time of 465, and they're looking at the fourth or fifth round for him. 14 sacks in 2017. He has eight so far this year. So he's been up for all the the the, uh, the awards, the Bednarik, the Hendricks Award. You know, he certainly uh, has been a very decorated player, but uh, I just, yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll try to get a lot more information on him as we get closer to draft time. This is not the time to do it, but yeah. certainly this is the time to throw names out so that you can start watching. Because if you get a chance to look through your TV listings and you see a certain team playing, it's like, oh, let's see, there's a guy I think on that team I'd like to watch. I actually have a couple games on my DVR just for that reason. There you so go. you can go back and watch them. 201-939-4513. Final call of the show and wrapping us up is Len in Columbia, Maryland. Hello, Len. Hey, guys. How you Hi. doing? Hi. How'd you spend your bye week, Len? I imagine you kind of just like smoking your pipe on your back porch. <laughs> is that accurate? <laughs> Well, it's a little rainy, but I'd like to be doing that and put, put my hat on and get out there. Yeah, that'd be pretty nice. Sun is going to shine tomorrow. Maybe I'll try that, John. Yep, awesome. <laughs> Listen, how can those numbers be that bad? I mean, those numbers you were reciting are just absolutely mind-boggling, enough to give you a headache. And my, my first question is, how, how can it be that bad? We went out and signed... The starting left tackle on the New England Patriots, who started 19 games for the Patriots last year, including the Super Bowl. We went out and signed an offensive guard who started 17 games last year, including three playoff games for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We signed a guy who started 16 games at center 
for the Los Angeles Chargers, and now we've signed a guy who started 16 games for the Los Angeles Rams. What's wrong with our offensive line, guys? Well, Len, this is why. <laughs> this is why I, and I'll only speak for myself here. I send the off season. This group of offensive linemen didn't have to be great. They didn't have to be a top 10 unit. They didn't even have to be a top 15 unit. All they, I needed them f- was to be around the 20th to 23rd best unit in the league. Be good enough. And that would have been good enough to allow the offense to function. That's all you needed. And guys have not played as well as I thought they would have. Well, that's um, an understatement, And John. they haven't played well enough together. Uh, that's, an, that's an understatement, John. I, I don't have a good answer why. If I did, I'd be working upstairs and making a lot more money than I do I, right now. You know, man, we we can't ignore... four guys have in common. What's that? The team they left didn't want them. Well, Len, there's something else didn't that want them. there's something they else that starting that, they were starting players and right down to Jamon okay. Brown, who we just picked up. Rams didn't want him anymore. All right, hold on a second. They're not that's not entirely true. All right. Now his contract is up at the end of the year, and the Rams don't figure that they can match salary cap numbers or make salary cap numbers work to re-sign him. So there was partially a business reason why he was let go, besides the fact that the guy they plugged in is playing better and he's younger and he's cheaper. Okay. So, so, but this, this is a quality player because the, the report was that five teams claimed him, but the Giants got him because they were the lowest pick. So, so, so hold on. So hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You got, you got to understand something. Len, Len, you got to hold on. Though. We'll get to you. We'll get to you. We'll get to you. Understand one other thing. You have to understand one other thing about this offensive line. And it's not an excuse because they did not play well the first few games of the season either. We knew it was going to take time for a rebuilt line to gel. They never had time because there's only two guys, only two guys who have played every single game at their positions on that line. Solder, who's had a very disappointing season, and Hernandez, who has had a very promising rookie season. The other three spots have been a mishmash of players. Yeah, but they were the same guys for the first Three or four weeks. I said that already. Right. But but we also knew it was going to take them probably four, five, or six weeks to have any chance to come together as a unit. Remember, though, they, they chose to make some of those changes. They had to. Because if you kept what you had last year, that wasn't going to work either. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I no, tell I, people all the time. I hear you. They were between a rock and a hard place. So you can, you can say whatever you want if they leave the line the way it was. But we knew that didn't work. So then they change everything. Well, then you can't cry about that because they, right, hey guys, they tried. Hey guys, guys? Yeah, go ahead. With all due respect, my turn. Yeah, Len, go ahead. Okay, okay. All right. One, one pretty good rule of thumb. If you have a backup, if you have a starter on your team who loses his job and is now the backup, get rid of him. Former starters on your team don't make good backups. Don't make good backups. Well, Solder wasn't we saw, a former starter, we, we though. We saw it this year with John Jerry. We saw it with Flowers. We're probably a week away from Amame, although the contract may be too embarrassing to you know, Len, for, us, for us to cut him. Hold on, hold on, and, and I'll let you finish. I know we're running over, but hold on a second. Yeah. Now, yeah, okay. unless, unless the information that came out of New England was incorrect, Belichick supposedly made a bid for Solder, which was just a tad under what the Giants offered him. So he did try to get him back. He did not throw Solder in the trash. He was a starter on, on a very good team. He tried to get him back, and the Giants actually outbid him from, from the report that I read out of New England. 
So it wasn't like he was being discarded or thrown away. Belichick wanted him back. So that argument does not fly. Well, he just didn't want him back at that price? The Giants gave, gave him, as we all know, a very lucrative contract to jump because they badly needed someone to fill the spot. So, so yeah, what, he didn't so want him what, at that price. So that's, what, that's what motivated Belichick to trade a third rounder to San Francisco for that offensive tackle? Hey, I don't, I don't have any idea what other Belichick moves were, were what okay. the reason was okay. for his other moves. But he, he, he did I, want Solder back, but not okay. at that price. Right. Okay, I, I don't you, – you probably know more about that situation than I do, Paul. I'll, I'll give you that. But I, I don't – I can't imagine it played out that way. And, and Lynn, by the uh, way – He and, looked – he saw Nate Solder on the back end, and he wasn't going to pay him. He wasn't going to pay him that kind of money. Well, he, and he, he usually doesn't overpay guys. He got a pretty good football player well, from the well, Len, 49ers for a third-round draft choice. No, Len, Len, look, yeah. I, I agree with you, but I think you have to look what Bill Belichick does. Very rarely does yeah, Bill Belichick know. pay somebody at this point in their career, good or not, yeah. that exactly. type of money. And, and I, know I know you take everything with a grain of salt. Just FYI, Nate Solder's pro football focus grade last year and this year is almost identical. Just saying. Okay, all right. Let me let me say one other thing. You got we got to get. And and Charlie alluded to it yesterday because he watched the Redskins game. I did too. We got to get a major league center. They got to get a major league center. In fact, if this morning you could give me that Atlanta, this is this is dream world, guys. I know, but let me just try to make a point. If you can give me that offensive center from Atlanta, and you give me Danielle Hunter. I'll never forgive the Giants for going double-O in the third round in 2014. And five picks later, Minnesota picking a, de- a defensive end named Daniel Hunter. Yeah, that's a mistake. This guy's, on, this guy's on his way to the Pro Bowl. You give me Daniel Hunter this morning in that center from Atlanta, we go 6-2 and two in the last eight games of the year. Get a center. I know everybody wants the left tackle. Oh, you've got to have a left tackle. That's the primary. You get a foundation. You get an anchor. You go out and get yourself a major league center, and this team improves dramatically. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I, I think we got a chance to go 4-4 four and four in this back end. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think Charlie's right. we got some games coming up here. I, I think we can win. And, um, but, you know, you give me those two guys, and I'm 6-2. and two. I'm 6-2 and two going into the, at the end of the season and feeling pretty good about the way it went. Remember, we're 4-20 and 20 in the last 24 games. We're 2-10. and 10. At home, I mean that's awful. That's just that's just just awful. Boy, Len, you know Thank how to go Len. out on a downer, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Take care. Right. Thank you, uh, Len. Let's go, Giants. Let's win some games, guys. All right, hey, thanks for taking my call. Hey, All thanks right, for bye-bye. calling, in, Len. All right, bye. Uh, okay. And before yep. we say goodbye, by the way, I want to remind our listeners that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. The relevant point that you made, John, Belichick rarely pays even market value to retain his guys. Well, and, and he's let some very good players He sure around. has. He, he is always one of those guys who says, I'm going to get you for less than market value because you're going to have the privilege of playing for me. <laughs> you're going to play with the Patriots. You're going to play for the great Belichick, and you're going to go to the playoffs every year. So guess what? You have a chance at winning the Super Bowl. You'll take less than market value. So that's the way his MO has always been. So it's... It's not surprising that he would not have met the Giants in a bidding war trying to get Nate Solder. Yeah, to me, the Patriots letting somebody walk is not... It's not an indictment. It it isn't a big red flag for me because they let everybody walk. 
They let everybody walk. I mean, the last guy they re-signed, the big money they had was what, Devin McCourty? Right? Yeah. Wasn't he the last guy? Mm-hmm. I mean, name one of the guy that they, besides Tom Brady, obviously, that they've paid a lot, and Gronkowski, that they've paid a lot of money into and said, yeah, we want this guy here. Brandon Cooks, adios. The, the, for the last 15, Danny Amendola, adios. Yeah. Last 15 years. That's the way it is with those guys. That's their MO. They, they'll they'll get rid of a guy a year too soon. Wes Welker, adios. Ty Law going back years ago. I mean, Vintieri. One of the greatest kickers who's ever kicked in this league. Set the all-time points record, I think, last week. How about all the two defensive weeks ago. linemen they've let walk No question. Away. Richard Seymour was the number one guy on that list. I mean, that's just the way it is. So don't take that as an indictment on Solder. Again, you know. And look, folks, we told you when he got here that he was good. He wasn't you all pro. You weren't getting a pro. He's never made a Pro Bowl. Right. And he was on a great team. So it's not like people weren't watching, seeing a play. You know what I mean? So, look. They were in a situation where they had to do where they had to do. And they had no choice. Because, my goodness, folks, if they would have tried to roll out Eric Flowers in a left tackle this year, we'd have people with pitchforks and torches outside. So don't tell me that <laughs> Don't tell me that you would have been okay with that because you wouldn't have been. No. They, they went out and said, who is the best left tackle available on the shelf? And they went and got him. I mean, I don't know what else they're supposed to do. Thank you, Paul. All right, John. I'm back with Meadow on Thursday. Tomorrow, it is Russ and you. I'm back on Friday. Russ and Fiegel's tomorrow. That's right, because Jeff asked not to work today. So it'll be Russ and Fiegel's tomorrow. Then I'm back on Thursday. Uh, and then the rest of the week, we're back with Big Blue Kickoff Live every day, Monday through Friday, the rest of the year, except for Thanksgiving and Christmas and Christmas Eve. Uh, make sure you stay tuned to Giants.com. It's all presented by Coors Light. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. For Dan Salomon, who's back in the power chair. <laughs> it's good to have him. We'll see you again in, uh, what, Senior Bowl in, in January, you think? Sounds about right? Okay. We'll see you then, everybody. Adios. See ya.